0: First John and chapter 5. First John chapter 5. I will read verse 6. I, let me begin with verse 5 because I'll be coming back to it in a moment. Verse 5 down to verse 13. First John 5, verse 5 to verse 13. has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, brethren, we are continuing in our ongoing series of messages on the general theme of assurance Of eternal salvation. And we are now in the the final chapter of 1 John and chapter 5. As I said to you last week, the passage that we are in is one of those that tends to be fairly difficult to handle. And consequently, it's very easy for us to get bogged down in the details that in the process we fail to appreciate the broader truth that John is seeking to share with us. And what John is essentially doing here is to deal with the fact that the the Christian faith is one that God himself has given testimony to. He has testified concerning especially his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And consequently, it is only right, it only makes sense that we should believe in him because all we are doing is believing in God and his testimony concerning his son. And so we noted as we went through this passage of scripture that the word testimony in its various forms comes out at least eight times, suddenly, between verse 6 and verse 12. And immediately that tells you that whatever is happening here is around this particular phrase. Now, last week, we noted that um, John was speaking about this testimony in terms of the water and the blood. The sick said, this is he who came by water and blood. And if you're asking yourself what does it mean to come by water and blood, it's got nothing to do with coming by boat, as we would often say in our regular um, words in the vernacular. Rather, it's talking about the testimony in that same water and the testimony in that same blood. And it's easy for us to notice that, especially in verse 7. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. So there is something that happened at the baptism of our Lord Jesus... And there's something that happened at the death of our Lord Jesus that brings out some reality concerning Jesus. And what is that reality? It is that he is the Son of God. And it's very clear because that's how verse 5 ended. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and the blood, Jesus Christ. So there's, there's something that took place at the commencement of his ministry and at the end of his public ministry that clearly brings out that the one we believe in is no mere human being who was baptized and who was crucified. He is God. The Son. Now, John doesn't end there. He brings in another witness. And this time, it is the witness of the spirit of the living God. He puts it this way in verse 6b. Verse 6b. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. And brethren, as we consider this portion of scripture, I want us to realize that this is one reason why the Christian faith is absolutely unstoppable. It is because it's not simply human beings who have some kind of philosophies and are beginning to share those philosophies with one another, it is also God himself, by his spirit, confirming those truths and confirming them in our hearts. So that those truths become very much flesh of our flesh and spirit of our spirit. Jesus, being the Son of God, is not a mere philosophy to you if you are a Christian. It's as very real as you are real. You know it. That he is no mere man. He is God the Son. And because it is the truth, you are even willing to die for it. Willing to die for it. That's what we are learning here. And it's an all-important truth. So let's delve into what John is sharing with us here. And I trust it will not only encourage our faith, but it will challenge those of us whose belief concerning the things of God is merely head knowledge and hasn't sunk to the level where it is real conviction. What we are learning, therefore, from here, first of all, is that Christianity is more than a historical faith, where we are simply taught about what happened in the past, and we are expected to believe it because it has continued across history to come to us through oral tradition, or it has come to us through the writings of those who were witnesses, first-hand witnesses there. It's much more than that. Christianity has an ongoing testimony of God the Holy Spirit. An ongoing, active testimony of God the Holy Spirit. And that's what John means here when he says, and the Spirit is the one who testifies. Jesus himself had said it before he left planet Earth in John 15. John 15 and verse 26. This is what he said in the upper room when he was tucked away with his disciples, seeking to strengthen them before his departure to heaven. John 15 and verse 26. We read there. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, listen to this, he will bear witness about me. He will bear witness about me. That's the role the spirit whom I am going to send into the world, that's the role that he will continue to play right across history. Or, if we turn back to 1 John, you will notice in chapter 2 that John refers to this as an anointing. And he says that those people that profess the Christian faith and then abandon it altogether and go to their vomit, go to wrong heretical teaching, it's because they've never known this witness of the Spirit inside them. And that those of you who are true believers, it is because you have this anointing, the Spirit of God working in you. Look at verse 21 of chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I'll begin from verse 19. Just speak about those that have gone away. We are told, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Now listen to this, verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. You've been anointed by the Holy One, you all have knowledge. And then he says, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. You have this anointing, That causes you to to know the truth. And therefore, even as I speak to you, these truths are not, as it were, from the outside in. There is an inner conviction that convinces you that this is truth. Verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides with you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as this, his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And clearly this anointing is referring to the work of, Of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, causing us to really know the truth concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice two things. First of all, the emphasis in our text, back to 1 John and uh, chapter 5, the emphasis in 1 John on the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. He didn't say earlier on that the water testifies or the blood testifies. What he was simply trying to, at least up to that point, tell us was that there was something occurring. There was something that convinced us that he's the Son of God here and he's the Son of God there. The commencement of his ministry and the end of his ministry. And what he's saying now is, the Spirit testifies. In other words, that's where you can put all your trust. And he will tell us the reason why in a few moments. The testimony of the Spirit of God. And secondly, notice also the change in the tense. The change in the tense. When he was speaking about water and the blood, he was speaking in past tense. This is he who came by water and blood. But when he comes to the spirit, he's speaking in terms of the present continuous tense. He says, and the spirit is the one who testifies who continues testifying. He's testifying now, just as he was testifying before Jesus Christ came, just as he testified when Jesus was here. He's now testifying among us as his apostles, and he will continue testifying. And here we are in the 21st century. The Spirit of God continues this ministry in our hearts. And all I want to say is this, that he does so, it doesn't matter what the popular opinions are in the religious world, in any generation. And that always continues to change, because human beings are very fond of novel ideas. I want to assure you that in the hearts of God's true people, the Spirit of God continues to confirm the truth, to confirm the truth concerning his Son, Jesus Christ. And that's the reason why we must never be ashamed to affirm biblical truth, especially around the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if that truth has become terribly unpopular in our age don't worry the spirit of God in the hearts of the people of God will confirm that truth to them and perhaps for a generation the truth might be at a discount the people of God may be very few heretics and heresies might seem to be the ones winning the day don't worry God's truth will never finally be vanquished because God, the Holy Spirit, in the hearts of his people can never be vanquished. He is God. And it's a matter of time when truth will once again prevail. So let's never be ashamed of it. Let's never be ashamed of it. Now, one reason why you can rely on the Spirit's testimony is because truth is his very nature. Truth is his very nature. Back to our text. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. Why? Because the Spirit is the truth. The spirit is the truth. Now, the spirit, strictly speaking, is not equal to the truth because he is God. He is God, the spirit. But the point that is being made here is that all the attributes of God Are true of the Father True of the Son And true of the Holy Spirit All the attributes And one of the attributes of God is this Truth Truth Verity Truth That's the God who is there Satan is Is different. In my pocket, too many things in there. I'll just put it on the table here. Okay. Satan is different. You remember how Jesus referred to him that he is the father of lies. He is the father of lies. And yet when he speaks about the spirit, you will again remember how again and again he would refer to the spirit as the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. Let's quickly see this again by going back to the upper room discourse. John and chapter 14, 15 fourteen, fifteen and 16 John 14:15 and 16 If you are there with me John 14 we'll read verse 17 John 14 we'll read verse 17 let me begin with verse 15 If you love me you will keep my commandments And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Chapter 15, towards the end. The passage we read earlier on. Verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And then finally chapter 16, chapter 16, and verse 13, i begin from verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now that's important. What he hears is exactly what he will deliver to you. He will not change it in any way. So you can be sure that you've got a very reliable witness who comes to you and speaks to you. Now that's crucial. I know that we live in a day and age when we, we tell lies as though it's just part of life, telling lies. We, we watch movies where people are, are lying to us. And we, we literally believe them. They jump off 10-story buildings and we'll go, <laughs> and they land 10 floors later bam, on their two feet and run. And we say, that's my hero. Politicians lie to us as if we're kids. And we believe them. We even vote for them. We know they are lying and we vote. But at least in some areas, we we, we are a little more careful. Especially where it has to do with money. Somebody comes to you to borrow money and before you give him, someone else comes and says, eh, the story told you is a lie. Actually, he's owing the other one money and all he wants is to pay Peter by getting money from you, Paul. And once you start troubling him, he will go now to speak to Victor and get money from him. I doubt that at that point you start saying, oh, it's all right, it's all right, just, just give him, man, just give him. Or the moment you are told that your bank has been cheating on figures, I know what you will do. You will go and close your bank account quickly before you lose your money. Usually with respect to money, it begins to matter. When it's to do with marriage, it begins to matter. When you discover that the person about to marry you, eh, ladies, actually has another wife the other side. That's it. You don't just say, it's okay, after all. Just want to get married. You know that, that marriage goes forward on love and truth. And there are many marriages that end, not because... The woman says, I don't love him. But because the woman is saying, I don't trust him anymore. Don't trust him. In other words, at that point, truth matters. But here's my point. Here we are dealing with where you will be forever. Your eternity. When your life is over. just been hearing of Mama Rose, and the news that I I saw was she's gone to be with her Lord. And everybody's saying, praise the Lord. Now, you'd like people to be saying, praise the Lord, if it's true. Only they're saying, may he rest in peace, R-I-P. In actual fact, you are dancing around in the flames of hell. You don't want that. So you want to know, and you want to know now that which I'm believing in is it true? Is Jesus a sufficient Savior? Because when I've breathed my last, it is too late. I can't come back. I can't say to God, sorry God, I was misled. Give me a second chance to go and sort things out and then there's nothing like that. You're gone, gone, gone. So in this matter, it matters that you know the truth. It matters because you've got an entire eternity of regrets. If you have been misled. And so, John is saying about this one the testifier, the testimony of the Spirit. He's saying you can rely on him. You can rely on him. Because the Spirit and truth cannot be divorced, not at all. You might as well start imagining an ocean without water. Or a sun without light. If you ever manage those two things, perhaps we may begin discussing the Spirit of God being separated from truth. He is the truth. Because the Spirit is the truth. So, You are right if you are converted and have the conviction that you have trusted in the Son of God. You are right. You are very right. But as if that's not enough, John goes one step further. And this is what he says. That we have three... Concurring testimonies, three concurring testimonies that Jesus is the Son of God, three. And as I often joke, it's enough to convict an elder, three witnesses. Back to 1 John and chapter 5. This is what it says in verse 7 and verse 8. For there are three that testify the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. A passing note. If what you have on your laps is a King James Version Bible, this is what it says. For there are three that testify in heaven. It adds, in heaven. And then it goes on to add, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. So at least you know it's not me, eh? The Father, the Word, and the Spirit. And these three agree. And then it adds, And there are three that testify on earth. And then that's when it goes into verse 8, which says the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. All right, the studio guys know what to do. And these three agree. My simple comment, I don't want to spend too much time because I'm pretty sure there may only be two or three King James Version Bibles in a congregation this big these days. But that was an addition, a later editorial addition, and that by far the testimony of the earlier manuscripts of the Bible, and there are many, is what you have in what I have just read. Okay, that's purely a passing comment. And uh, so let's read again what we have here. My condolences to you if you have a King James Version Bible. This is what the Apostle John wrote. For there are three that testify, the spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree. Basically, what is John saying? The best way to understand what John is saying is to understand that little word for at the beginning of verse 7 and understand it as Indeed. In other words, it's not so much that he wants to give us a reason for something, but rather what he is doing is to assert, is to say, indeed, we have three witnesses. And that's powerful. Why is it powerful? Well, it's because at the time John was writing, and the history preceding that it mattered especially in a court situation when you had three witnesses that established a matter or to put it a little differently if you did not have two or three witnesses a matter would not be taken to conviction let me quickly show you that in a few verses, and um, I'll give you a bit of a marathon. So let's see what happens. Thanks, guys. Let's begin with Deuteronomy 17. Now, I'll be a little quick. So, those of you who uh, don't know what Deuteronomy is, please pardon me. That reminds me, I've just seen where Andrew Moore here. Uh, We were at a conference just a few days ago, and uh, someone took us through the whole book of Deuteronomy. So it's still very fresh in my own mind here. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, and we'll also look at Deuteronomy 19. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 17 and verse 6. On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. That's how serious it is that you should have more than one witness. Chapter 19 and verse 15. Chapter 19 and verse 15. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established and that's what John chapter 8 not first John but John chapter 8 deals with or speaks about a reference to these passages we've just read. John 8 and verse 17. John 8 and verse 17. Listen to this. This is Jesus speaking. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. In other words, he's arguing with these people, saying, look, if it was just me claiming things about myself, yes, consider me a lunatic. But there's a second witness. Surely you should follow your own law. You should say to yourself, let's give some attention to this matter. Because we have more than one witness pointing out the same claim concerning this person. Or if we can quickly go to um, Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, I'm having second thoughts about taking you to all of them. So the others, I will just give those of you who have pen and paper. Hebrews 10 and verse 28. Hebrews 10 verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Again, that's how serious this matter is. The reverse is equally true. That when you've got two or three witnesses in court and they are all saying the same thing initially, and then when you begin to cross-examine them, they begin to contradict one another the case is squashed. Squashed. Because the witnesses don't agree. One or two quick examples, and maybe I'll just, oh, by the way, I promised you the other verses. Matthew eighteen sixteen, We won't read them. I'm just giving them to you. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1. And First Timothy 5, verse 19, you can check those out later. They are all basically saying the same thing. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, bang, a matter is established. But Matthew 26, where I'm taking you, and then the other one where I want to take you, is Mark 14. They are all saying, here are witnesses contradicting one another. Let's quickly read that. Matthew 26, verse 59. These are supposed to be testifying against Jesus. Matthew 26, verse 59. This is what we read there. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at last two came forward and said, This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify? But Jesus remained silent. Maybe let me throw in Mark 14 because at least it brings out the aspect of the contradictions. Mark 14, verse 55. The contradictions come in verse 59, so I'll start reading. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but here it is. But their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. And here it is, yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And that's why Jesus didn't bother to answer them. Why answer when you can hear yourselves that they are contradicting one another. These are clearly false witnesses. Back to our text. Notice the way John puts it. Verse 7. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, whom I've just talked about. The water and the blood. And here it is. And these Three agree. They agree. Try and cross-examine them as it were. And they are all consistently bringing out one truth. Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is God the Son. Sent into the world by the Father in order to save us from our sins. Their testimonies totally collaborate into one testimony. The point that's being made, therefore, is this. That if you are a believer today, don't sit there wondering, is what I'm hanging on to truth? Or perhaps somebody might come later and disprove it and so on. Now, come on, guys. There's been enough enemies across human history to have tried to do that already. You will have the testimony of God himself. God the Holy Spirit. And God is truth. You can't imagine your creator, the governor of history, the one who's revealed himself as one who has even given us a conscience that tells us with pain when we do something wrong and encourages us with joy when we're doing something right, you don't expect him to lie. He is truth itself. And it fits in with what we have read here as to what transpired in the commencement And the end of Jesus' public ministry. The Holy Spirit bears constant testimony. Constant testimony. So let me ask you. We have come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And on that we have staked everything. Everything. For time and for all eternity. What about you? As you sit in here today. What about you? Is that a solid conviction on your part? Is it? As you sit there today. Would you be willing to sacrifice your life on this reality that God sent his own son into the world to save you from your sin and you have come to trust in him? If you're in doubt, this whole passage Is saying to you, He is the Son of God. Trust in Him. Trust in Him. With all your being, trust in Him. Because if you don't, you will perish forever. And thankfully, as we shall be singing, the comforter has come, the Holy Ghost from heaven. And he has come to make these truths real to all of us. Real. As real as your very existence is today. He has come to make Jesus real to you. That's our joy. And will you not rejoice together with us in these verities, these truths, these gospel truths. That even on your deathbed, as you're breathing your last, you'll be able to speak to the others. I'm going to my rest. I'm going to my Lord. I am going to glory. Because I have trusted in Jesus, the Son of God. Amen.